the healing ministry of Jesus. We've been studying the individual cases of healing, looking at uh, principles that we can learn from, from these different accounts that uh, we can apply into our own lives and that can help us in our receiving from God. And I trust uh, you've received some good things. So far we've already looked at uh, the, the, the account in Mark 9 of the, uh, the, the father who brought his, his son to Jesus. We, we saw that that man had to learn to, put uh, to, to not put responsibility on everybody else, but to take responsibility for his own receiving from God. Uh, we've also looked at the account of the nobleman's son. Uh, we saw that the nobleman who came to Jesus was desperate. Uh, he, was, he, he had his eyes on everything that was going on around him, and Jesus had to adjust his focus and help him to get his eyes on the Word and uh, start to believe that rather than the situation. Uh, last week we looked at the accounts of the leper that came to Jesus. We saw that the, the leper approached Jesus in humility. He wasn't focused on his problem. He was more focused on Jesus. Um, but he, his challenge was that he lacked some information. There was a gap in his knowledge, a gap in his understanding. And uh, Jesus correct, well, didn't correct that. He taught him and he showed him what he didn't know. Uh, and last week we we made the point that very often a lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge in an area can hinder a person. Uh, not just lack of general knowledge. We we can a person can know ninety or ninety five percent of what they know, what they need to know to receive. But there can be a little bit of something that uh, that, that that really can be the key or the answer, the the thing that they don't yet know. So if you haven't uh, had the chance to listen to those previous videos, please do. So obviously we don't have time to go through everything again because we want to look at some new things today. And uh, we're going to be looking at the account of the two blind men that came to Jesus in, uh, in Matthew 9. So if you've got your Bibles there, please get those out and uh, open up w with us to these verses and uh, see what the Word of God has to say. But let's just take a moment just to pray. Just open your hearts, understand we've all had busy days and we've had the, the, the kind of the stress and the different things going on in life. So let's just focus ourselves on the Word of God for this, for this time of study now. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your Word. We thank you for the truths of your Word and for everything we've been learning, hearing and receiving. We open our hearts right now to, to receive, to hear everything that you have for us. We thank you that your Spirit is teaching us and your Word is teaching us. We thank you, Father God, that as we see these different cases of healing, we're going to have a much better understanding of how the healing ministry operates and how Jesus helped people and how people can receive today. And we open our hearts to receive that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you can go to Matthew chapter 9 um, and have a look at this with us. As I said, because we're doing these Bible studies on a regular time every Tuesday, I, I'm encouraging people to join us every Tuesday. Make this a regular part of your, your uh, Bible study and, and time to receive and have your Bibles with you. So Matthew chapter 9. Um, I'll, I'm going to just read parts of this as we go and make a few comments, uh, uh, general comments about some things, and then we'll get into some specific points that I want us to uh, get from this passage today. Matthew chapter 9 verse 27 um, says, starts off, when Jesus departed from there. Now let's just pause there for a moment because sometimes we jump over these things and we don't really think about what's going on. And it's actually quite important as you see what happens in the next two verses where Jesus is departing from and, and, and this journey, that, he, that this walk that's going on. So when Jesus departed from there, well where is there? 
It's quite simply, you can look at the previous verses and uh, you'll find that Jesus has just been uh, in Jairus's house. Uh, most of the time we tend to read this in Mark chapter 5. Jairus was, uh, had come and in the middle of, while Jesus, was going with, with, while Jesus was going with Jairus, the woman with the issue of blood had come, touched the hem of his garment. Jesus had then continued on to Jairus' house where the healing and miracle had taken place in that account. And we haven't looked at those ones yet. We, we're still going to be doing that. But that is now where Jesus is coming out of. So when it says Jesus departed from there, he is literally coming out of Jairus' house and uh, leaving there. Now, we know that Jairus had had to come and get Jesus. So Jesus was not like next door neighbors with Jairus. We don't know how far away Jesus was when Jairus first called him. Uh, but Jesus had traveled with Jairus to his house. Again, that's an important part for what we, uh, point for what we're about to see here. So Jesus is departing from Jairus' house, says he departed from there. Uh, the next phrase, Matthew 9, 27, says two blind men followed him. Now, I don't know about you, but this, the, reading this gets me every time because I, I, I immediately begin to wonder, how did two blind men who cannot see follow him? I'm not entirely sure. Um, it probably wasn't the easiest thing to do. And we're going to, to come back to that point a little bit later on. But these two blind men, we don't know if they're partially blind. We don't know if someone's leading them. They follow Jesus. How exactly they did that, we're not told. Now, how, did, how far did they follow him? This is the next question. Two, so he's departed from Jairus' house. Two blind men follow him. And, and while they're following him, they're crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. Again, we'll look at that phrase in just a moment. But look at what happens next. Verse 28 says, and when he had come into the house. So there's some very specific information given in these two verses about Jesus' journey and his travel. We're not, what we are not told is how far. But the, the, the indication is he's now left Jairus' house and he's gone back to where he was when Jairus called him. Or this is either his own house or this is house he's staying in while he's traveling. I haven't really looked into that. Some people don't realize Jesus did have a house. He did, he did have a place he stayed. Uh, he eventually moved his ministry to Capernaum and that's where he had a house. And that's in the scriptures. So, and, and offhand, I actually didn't check if this is happening in Capernaum or not. So I'm not sure if this is his house or if this is the house he's staying at while he's traveling. But what I want you to notice is that Jesus has walked a distance. I don't know how far. We have absolutely no reason to believe that he's just gone out one house and to the next door house because that doesn't line up with the previous account of Jairus. Jesus didn't live next door to Jairus. He wasn't even staying next door to Jairus. So he might have walked across town. Um, it's very possible he walked to the next town. We don't know. Okay, I, I would say that's probably assuming too much. But let's just say for now, at least he walked halfway across town. So he walked a distance here. The entire way... These blind men are following him, blind, cannot see where they are going, whether one of them can see out of one eye, whether they, one's trying to lead the other, whether, whether someone's leading them. There's nothing in the passage that says anybody else is leading them. It doesn't say two blind men and their friend. So we can't assume that. So these blind men follow Jesus for a distance. Now, we're going to make a very important point out of that 
as kind of in the second half of today's teaching, but I wanted to set the scene now for, for that. But now look at what happens while they are following him. It says they're crying out, Jesus, or well, not Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. They're crying out the entire time. They're walking behind him. They're crying out, Jesus, or son, I keep saying Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Now, I want you to notice what's not happening. Jesus is not responding to them. Okay, We don't know how long this journey is, but one thing we know is that Jesus did not respond to them until verse 28, where it says, And when he had come into the house, that's a very specific detail there in this passage, when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. So somehow... They figured out which house he had gone into and followed him into it. I, I, I want you to see that this isn't very easy for them. There's a bit of a challenge. It's not just falling on their lap out of, you know, with no effort. They're having to put some effort in for this. The blind men come to him in the house because he's now gone into the house. So they come to him. I don't know if they, they, how they managed to get in the door, but they did. They come to him and now for the first time Jesus responds to them. Jesus said to them, and I'll read this in just a minute, but let's just first, uh, let's, let's, let's look at, let's examine what they said. Let's examine what they were crying out, where they, they were crying out, son of David, have mercy on us. Now, you know, a, a lot of people think that all you need to do when you're in a crisis is cry out to God, ask God. Now, I do agree that the Bible tells us to ask God. That is definitely scriptural. All over the place, we are told, ask, ask, ask. All right, but that is not all we are told. Now, a lot of people have have got as far as asking God. They're quite happy to come up in a prayer line and and have someone pray for them, or or they ask for God, or when they're in a crisis, God help, please. All right, but notice how Jesus didn't respond to the blind men. Crying out alone did not get Jesus to stop in his tracks and minister healing to them. Now, a lot of times people want to come to God. Even today, ministers today think that we've got to pray for everyone who asks us. If someone comes to me and says, please pray for me, then oh, yeah, I've got to be a good, loving minister and pray for them. Because, you know, we've, we, we're, we're good, loving ministers. We Just like Jesus loved everybody, we love everybody. Now, I agree we, we've got to do what Jesus did. And I agree Jesus loved everybody. But I do not agree that Jesus prayed for everybody on demand. Just because they asked him. We've already seen in a couple of passages that a number of times before Jesus would minister to somebody, he talked to them and he, he talked to them about believing. He adjusted their focus. He got, them, uh, he got their attention right. He got them to take responsibility. And only when he knew they were ready did he minister to them. And that's when the healing took place. Now, very often, we just pray for people because they ask. We don't do any effort into making sure that they're ready to receive. And that's sometimes uh, why they don't receive. We think everybody who comes up for prayer, well, you know, we can do it all for them. We lay hands on them and pray for them. Jesus didn't do that. Just because they asked him doesn't mean he responded. Now, he, did, he wasn't nasty to them. He wasn't rude. He didn't say, go away. He wasn't mean to them. But Jesus is trying to do something very specific here. Jesus knew, he understood that in order for somebody to receive from God, there are certain principles that need to be, into be put into practice. And Jesus knew that by handling this situation this way, he could help these men get the principles 
working in their life that they needed. Uh, and the first one was, as we said, they were crying out, just crying out, asking, heal us, heal us, have mercy on us. And they, they didn't specifically say heal, they were crying out for mercy. Very often they, in the Old Testament, they understood that healing was part of the mercy of God. If you go study that out, there's a whole subject on that. Many times people associated healing with mercy. All right. So that by asking for mercy, that was another way in their minds of asking for healing. But they're crying out. Now, if crying out alone was enough to get God to move, a lot more people today would be receiving from God. Yeah, a lot of people that cry out to God. There's some people who've been crying out to God for years. God, please do it. Please do it. I need you to do it. Please do it, God. God, help, help, help. In fact, I was doing some research a short while ago on, on you know, you can research Google and the kind of terms that people look for. Uh, and search for, and I was obviously looking under kind of spiritual terms, but Bible-related terms, and 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 I was very struck by the fact how many people Google the words "God help." Yeah, a lot of people. It was it was one of the biggest numbers of of kind of Bible-related phrases, or Christian or scriptural phrases, or religious phrases. A lot of people Google that phrase "God help," because there's so many people crying out, "God help me." As long as that was all there was to it from these blind men, Jesus kept walking. He kept walking. They're crying out. If crying out was enough to get God to move, then more people would be getting answers and results. But that the Bible shows us there are specific things that need to go with your crying out in order to receive healing. Now, for example, uh, in James chapter 1, it's the passage where it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Um, well, there it is. There's the asking. Let him ask of God. See, it's right. It's scriptural. It's good to ask God. We're told to. But then it goes on and it talks about God gives liberally and without reproach. And then, but then James chapter 1 and verse 6 starts, uh, says this. Um, I won't give you the whole phrase because I don't want to get into studying this whole, that whole verse. But this is how James chapter 1 six, verse 6 starts. It says, but let him ask in faith. See, it doesn't say just asking is enough. It lays down a requirement that's in, that has to be present in the asking. Now, if all asking and all crying out was automatically asking in faith, then that would just be completely unnecessary to say. But it's specifically, it says, ask, but let him ask in faith. Make sure faith is involved in the asking. Because asking and crying out alone is not enough. And, and we see that from how Jesus responded. See, there is no faith in crying out to God, please help me. That phrase has no faith. Now, I'm not saying that phrase is faith. That phrase is unbelief. That, that phrase is a neutral phrase. Let's put it that way. It's neither believing and it's neither unbelieving. It's just crying out. But, but crying out alone Saying, God, please help me, or God, I need your help, that's just crying out. What, what, what brings you into a position to receive when you ask is to put faith in with the asking. And, and, and this is where many people are not getting it. See, there's a difference between saying, God, I need your help, and saying, Lord, I believe you are the helper. 
I believe that, that when I ask you, you respond. I believe your word. And I thank you that when I ask you for things, I can believe that you will do as your word says. See, that's completely different. That's putting faith in the asking. Amen. And it's a very important part of it. Now, notice, notice this, this, what I've just said is supported by how Jesus responded to these blind men. These blind men, I've lost my verse, there it is. These blind men, Jesus, as long as they were crying out, Jesus just kept walking. He wasn't being mean to them. What he was doing is he was giving them an opportunity to, to show characteristics of faith, which I'm going to talk about shortly. But anyway, we're looking at the conversation first. They cried out. When they came into the house, the blind men came to him. Jesus said to them, okay, let's do it. Come here. You've cried out. That's all we need. Come here. I've, I've got to pray for you. No, that's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said is, do you believe? Now, believing and faith are synonymous terms. They, they're the same thing, pretty much, okay? Uh, some people don't think that. Some people don't, are, are uncertain about that, but it is. You find them used interchangeably in the Bible, believing and faith. Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? What is Jesus looking for? Their belief. Do you believe? It's not about whether you're crying out. That's the start, but you've got to ask in faith. But let him ask in faith. Believing needs to be involved in the asking. <coughs> and it wasn't until they acknowledged their belief, yes, Lord, that Jesus then ministered to them and they got a result. Do you believe? Yes, we do believe. Okay? So that is an important part of what we see. And, 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 and it, it goes on in verse 30, sorry, verse 29, says, then, then he touched their eyes. Now, then is a time-related word. Okay? There's a process here. In other words, he didn't do it until they responded and, gave, and, and, and the believing was involved. Then he touched their eyes, saying... And he reinforces the importance of faith according to your faith. Now, there you see the interchangeableness of the word believing in faith. Because he said to them, do you believe? And then he says, according to your faith, according to that belief. These use the terms interchangeably. But he says, he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, not according to your crying out and your asking, according to the faith that's involved, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. Now, I'm not going to go right now into when Jesus warned them uh, that, that no one knows about it. That, that's kind of another whole aspect of the teaching uh, that, that we can probably talk about another time. But how did Jesus respond to their asking? He looked for their faith. He looked for their believing. Now, just, just, just I, I want you to see this as well. If you've got your Bibles, look quickly at Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 and verse 8. Uh, this is where uh, Paul is preaching. And I want you to notice a similar thing there because we've, we've now mentioned this a few times in, in, in the last few weeks that every time with, with the, the, the um, lunatic son, the, the father of the lunatic son, God, Jesus, the man came to him putting responsibility on the disciples, putting the responsibility on, on, on Jesus. And Jesus spoke to him about if you can believe, it's down to your believing. With the, with the nobleman's son, the nobleman's son was so caught up in the circumstances and the desperation. And immediately Jesus spoke to him about believing. 
So he, and, he, and he started saying, unless you see, you'll by no means believe. Every time you're seeing Jesus put these same words in when he starts to talk to people. And, and with the leper, now the leper, we didn't see that Jesus specifically referring to believing because really the man did approach him. And I said this last week, the man approached him with confidence in him. So that bit he had right because he said, you are, if you are willing, you can do. So he had some belief and confidence in what Jesus could do. That was presence already. So Jesus didn't need to talk to him about that. Okay. But every time we're seeing this over and over again, when people came to Jesus, believing in faith was necessary. Now, we're, later on, once we've studied the cases where people came to Jesus, we'll look at the people Jesus went to. That's a completely different ballgame. Okay? Separate category of receiving from God. But every time people came to Jesus, they approached Jesus first. Believing in faith was involved and mentioned in the passage. Now, Let's look here, Acts chapter 14 and verse 8. Um, it says, And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. Now, I can't imagine being in a situation like that. That's awful. And that's, that's, you know, that's sad when someone's in a situation like that. But the good news is, it's not hopeless. God can fix that. God can fix that situation. And we see this happens with this man. There's hope in every situation. Uh, verse 9. So, so um, it says, this man heard Paul speaking. Uh, and then it says, Paul observing him intently. Now it says, Paul's speaking. So he's, he's probably preaching or teaching or something. But he's preaching, teaching. The man's listening to him. And Paul is watching this man. He's watching this man. He's watching this man. What's he looking for? Is Paul thinking... I'm going to show everybody what a great miracle I can do, and I'm going to get this man healed. No, there's no evidence of that. Why is Paul watching this man? Gives us the answer in the next phrase. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. Why was, why was Paul watching this man? He was waiting for faith to be present. He kept teaching, he kept preaching, he kept giving the word, kept speaking the word, kept teaching, teaching, teaching. And the whole time he's watching this man, he's watching this man, he's watching this man. He's waiting to see faith present in this man. And he doesn't minister to him until he sees faith present. But the moment he sees faith to be healed, he, he, he speaks out, he knows the man's now ready. Very often we minister to people before they're ready. The faith's not present. The believing's not present. They're in that state like the blind men. Have mercy, have mercy. They're crying out and we just go, oh, okay, we'll pray for you. And then nothing happens and everyone's confused and everyone starts saying, well, you see, God doesn't heal every day, everyone anymore. No, we, didn't, we, we, we jumped the gun. We didn't wait for the person to be ready. So let's go back to our, our passage in, in um, Matthew 9. Jesus didn't just respond. He didn't just respond to the crying out. He waited for faith to be present. And then when it was present, when he got that affirmation of what they believe, do you believe that I'm able? Then he touched their eyes and said, according to that belief, not according to your crying out, according to that belief, you receive. Amen. So make sure whenever we ask, whenever we approach God, faith is involved in the asking. Don't add faith in just later. I mean, you know, if you didn't put faith in the, in the asking, hey, get it in later if you have to, rather late than never. But learn how to do it right. 
Get it in the asking in the first place. Approach God with an asking attitude where faith and confidence in, in him and in his word is involved in the asking itself. Now, still a few more things I want to see out of this. Look, notice, notice with, um, uh, what Jesus said. He, first of all, Jesus said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? He gets their answer. And then in verse 29, he says, according to your faith or according to that belief. Now, think about this for a moment. Jesus said to them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? What if they had said to Jesus, well, Jesus, we don't really know what we believe. We just thought we'd see what happens. What if that had been their response? Now, based upon what Jesus said afterwards, according to your belief you're gonna, is how you're going to receive. Jesus was waiting for the right response. Now, they gave the right response. Yes, we believe. What if they'd said to him, well, no, actually, we don't, we don't really believe anything. Uh, we just thought you'd prove it to us. And then if you healed us, we'll believe afterwards. What if they'd said that? I, I can guarantee you the result wouldn't have been the same. What, you know, what if they'd said, well, we're, we're, we'll, we'll only believe once you do it. Because, you know, we, we don't believe in believing before. We believe in believing after. <laughs> There's a lot of Christians that want to do that. I'll believe God heals when I see him heal. No, that's not how it works. God's looking for the believing to be involved in the asking, in the approach. So what if these men had not said yes? What if they'd said no? What if they said, well, we don't know? See, if they'd said, we're not sure, we don't really know what believing is, Jesus. I, can get, I, I believe that at that point, Jesus would then have instructed them and, and had to lead them a little bit more to get them to the point of believing, like he did with other people. Okay? But because he got the right response, he was able to minister. Now, let's go on to the second part of what I want to look at, because, you know, I, 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 this is already the groundwork in this passage. I want to look at this issue is when, when it's hard to get healed. Now, this is, we'll cover this a little bit more probably in the next week or two as well in some of the other passages. But I want you to think about this, 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 uh, what, this we've already spoken a little bit about what happened with these blind men. Was it easy? Do you think following Jesus across town and Jesus not even responding to them was the easiest thing for blind men to do? I don't know. I mean, they, do you think they walked into a lamppost? Do you think they tripped over a few stones? I don't know. I'm speculating. Okay, so I can't preach that as definite. But what I do know is they traveled a distance. This was not easy. Did Jesus make it easy for them? The answer is no. The answer is no. Jesus didn't make it easy for them. And I've mentioned that in previous weeks. Sometimes we think we've got to make it as easy as possible for a sick person. You know, do half the job for them or do 90% of the receiving for them and make it as easy as possible for them. Jesus did not do that. Jesus understood that actually sometimes you've got to let them do some of it for themselves. Why was Jesus just walking and, and not responding to these people? He was giving these blind men an opportunity to show characteristics of faith. For example, one of the characteristics of faith is determination. Not quitting. Not quitting when it takes a while. Constantly pushing forward, being determined to keep going. What if these blind men followed Jesus out of Jairus' house and they walked, you know, 10 steps. And then one of them looked at the other and said, he's not answering us. Let's forget this. Let's go down the pub. <laughs> let's go somewhere else. Let's go, let's, you know, uh, let's go stand on the corner and beg because we'll probably get more results and some people will give us money. This guy's not even paying us any, any attention. 
What if they'd quit? What if they'd walked away just because it was a little bit hard? The answer is they wouldn't have got, they wouldn't have got the healing. Just because it was a challenge, just because there was effort involved, doesn't, uh, just because there was effort involved, uh, just because Jesus made it hard, let me say it, just because Jesus made them have to put a bit of effort in, let's put it that way, just because Jesus made them have to put a little bit of effort in, doesn't mean Jesus was being nasty, it's because Jesus was trying to draw out faith from them. Jesus understood that determined people are the people who receive from God, people who don't quit, People who, who make up their mind, even if this is a little bit harder. You know, last week, one of, we spoke about the fact that uh, that leper who came to Jesus, he lacked information. He didn't have all the information he needed. In his case, he knew God could. He, he just wasn't sure whether God was willing. <coughs> but other people lack other information. Sometimes there's, there's something they don't know. And what I said in last week's teaching is that one of the best things you can do for yourself every single time you need to receive from God is get into his word. See, many people go straight into prayer. They just want to pray because that's the easiest thing to do. But, you know, the Bible talks about give attention to my word. Keep my word before you day and night. It talks about spending time in the word. And, and, and also the word is where you build your faith. And sometimes I've said to people who, 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 who want to receive from God, I said, you know, you need to really get into the Word of God, spend time in the Word of God. And they look at you like, I don't have time for that. I'm busy. I thought I'd just come here and you'd pray for me and I'd just get it. The moment you ask people to put some effort in, half of them leave. Half of them don't want to do it. And because a lot of people want healing to be easy. They want, if healing doesn't fall on me like ripe cherries out of a tree and like little snowdrops falling out of the sky, then I'm going to walk around and say God doesn't heal everybody. If it's not easy, then I'm, I'm going to just say, well, God didn't want to heal me. Blame it on God if, if I didn't get it because it wasn't easy. I'm going to tell you right now, receiving from God very often isn't going to be easy. Whether it's healing, whether it's other, other things, it is going to involve some effort. It's going to involve some driving in from you. It's going to involve you pushing in with the Word of God, saturating yourself in the Word of God. A lot of people don't want that. They just All they want is they want to go down some, some healing evangelist meeting, have the person pray for them, get a quick miracle, and out the door they go. Because they want it easy. Okay, And, 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 and yeah, people do receive that way, but that's not the God's best. God did not say... We live by the healing anointings on other people's lives. He said we live by faith. He didn't say we live by miracles somebody else uh, believes for. He said we live by faith. God is wanting to bring his people to a place where they have faith. And, and faith takes effort. It's, there's no easy way around that. Faith takes being willing to drive past obstacles. We haven't looked at these cases yet. But what about the... But, when we do, I'm going to talk about other things, so I'll mention them now in this context. What about the man who was carried by four? four? Four of his friends carried him to Jesus, and they got to the door of the meeting, which was in a house. The house was crowded. There was no easy way in. You know, that's like a Christian today coming, getting, get, you know, driving. I'm going to go to the healing meeting, gets to the healing meeting, and the car park's full, and he says, Ah, oh, 
never is there any space around here. And he, you know, and he throws a fit and gets all upset because he can't find the car parking space. It's a little bit of effort. Okay? A little bit of effort. These guys, you know what? They didn't quit. These guys, they're carrying their four friends. They said, you know what? I'm not going to quit just because we can't get in the door. I'm not going to quit just because they didn't make it easy. I'm going to go and I'm going to dig a hole through the roof because I am determined that nothing is going to stand in between me and me getting my result. That's the attitude you've got to have when things get hard. When things get tough, you've got to have, drive your feet in the ground and begin to say, I am not quitting. I'm going to keep standing on this until I get it. Now, I'm going to show you an interesting one in a minute. Somebody had to stand a long time to get it. Okay? But... Not, not specifically healing, but just something from God. What about the woman with the issue of blood? We often talk about how she pressed through the crowd. You know, that, that makes a great sermon about, you know, the woman with the issue of blood pressing through the crowd. And because, you know, she, she's got an issue of blood, she shouldn't even be in public the way she is under their laws. And she, she pushes through this crowd, stretches out, touches the hem of Jesus' garment to get her healing. No, we, we love, I've heard great messages on that. You know, she determined, she drove through, she pushed on in. But, and people go, yes, amen, wow, that's a great story, amen. And then you say to them, you need to press in on the word. And they go, oh, I don't have time for that. Hold on. You might have your own crowd you've got to push through. Might not be a crowd of people. You might have, your, you might have a, a roof you've got to dig a hole through to, lower, to get lower down to, to Jesus. Maybe you've got to push up, walk, by, walk along like these blind men right across town saying, I'm not giving up this path. Those blind men could have given up, given up that path at any time. There could be a, just because there's a challenge, just because it's difficult, doesn't mean you can quit. Well, hey, hey, you got a free will. You can quit if you want to, but you know you're not going to get a result when you quit. We have God is looking for people who are determined, and it's one of the the the, the you know it's a missing characteristic that a lot of people do not have when it comes to receiving God is a determined attitude that absolutely nothing is going to stand in between me and Jesus and and getting this result. If I've got to put in some effort. If I've got to get in the Word, if I've got to get in the Word for a couple of hours every day, I'm going to do it. If I've got to surround myself with healing scriptures and read the Word and spend time in the Word and focus on the Word, I'm going to do it. Okay? Whatever it takes. Here's an interesting one. Um, most people have probably heard of Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. Now, um, we tend to forget about Caleb. Joshua and Caleb were um, the two spies when the children of Israel came, over, uh, came, came out of the wilderness and they um, got to the verge of the promised land. Moses sent in 12 spies. 10 spies came back saying, no, there's giants in the land. We can't do it. They were very negative despite what God had said that, that it was their land. Joshua and Caleb were the only two who believed God. They came back and said, that's, we can do this. That's our land. And, and they had a positive report. And, you know, Joshua, in fact, using today's terminology, we'd say Joshua and Caleb were believing God. They were in faith. They believed what God said. Now, because the, the other 10 and the entire nation all decided to, 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 to side together and be negative and say we can't, can't take the land. Most of us know what happened. 
they get God sends them back into the wilderness for for another forty years. He says, a whole lot of you gonna, is, are going to die, except for Joshua and Caleb, and another generation is going to raise up. Now, we often kind of think about you know the the, the rebellious generation that um, had to go and die in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Have you ever thought about Joshua and Caleb? Forty years. Forty years they had to wait for their land. <coughs> Some people get upset if they've got to wait more than a month to receive something from God. These are two men who are in faith. They, are, they, they took their faith stand. They said, let's go take the land. And yet they had to go back into the wilderness for 40 years. Now, it's interesting because we know Joshua came out as the, you know, the, in the book of Joshua, leading the people into the land. But what about Caleb? Let's look at Caleb. If you go to Joshua chapter 14, this is an amazing thing. I want you to see jo uh, Caleb's attitude um, all this time later. Joshua 14. Uh, this is now they've got they've gone through they've gone past Jericho they've done the first few battles in the land they've been attacking the land under Joshua and in in Joshua 14 uh, verse 6 it says this then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal so the, the Israelites come to come to Joshua and and it says and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him so Caleb is there as well Caleb says this, he says, you know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. Now, Kadesh Barnea was the verge of the promised land where they had all been sent back into the wilderness in Numbers 13 and 14. <coughs> so, and Caleb says, he reminds, what, what does he remind Joshua of? Is he got a bad attitude? I've had to wait 40, 40 years or more and I've had to wander around the wilderness and it's been hard. No, you're going to notice there is no bad attitude in this man. He has not given up. 40, in fact, you're going to see it's 45 years now by the time this actually happens. Says, and he, but he begins to speak out. You know the word of God. He reminds Joshua of what the word said. This is a man of faith. This is a man who's holding to the word. He's not crying. He's not doing anything else. He's reminding what the word says. You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me in, in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me, uh, with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So he says, everybody else was negative. They abandoned the word of God, but I, I spoke out. I stood on what was in my heart, which was believing God. And, 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 um, and, and he said, I wholly followed the Lord God. I took my stand in faith. And then it says, um, uh, verse 9, Moses swore on that day saying, surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever because, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. So 40 years, this is actually 45 years before Moses had said to him, you're going to get your land, boy. You are going to get your land, Caleb. And then it says in verse 10, this is still Caleb speaking. He says this, and now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Notice this, he's giving God credit. The Lord has kept me alive. As he said, 
He has said, just like God said, he is declaring what God has said. God has done what he said. He's kept me alive as he said. And this is where we know the number. These 45 years. So 40 years in the wilderness and now five years into taking the land. 45 years ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. He was 40 when he went in the land. He's 85 years old now. He's waited 45 years to get what he believed God for 45 years ago. But has he weakened? Has he given up? Has he got a bad attitude? Has he said, oh, this is hard. Is he now starting to say, oh, you know, God doesn't always do what he says in his word. Now, that's what a lot of people do. But it takes a little bit of effort, a little bit of driving in, a little bit of determination, a little bit of a delay. You get the people who start to say, oh, yes, you know, God doesn't always do it anymore. I remember, I remember some of you who I've taught in Bible school have heard me say this, but I remember um, years ago, I was fresh out of Bible school. I think I was about 20 years old, um, 20, 21 years old. Actually, by, this, by the time this happened, I think I might have been about 23 and um, I had a minister say to me, because I used to preach faith, believing God, the Word of God. And I had a minister say this to me. And he was a minister who was also being around the Word of God. He said to me this, he said, he said, oh, just, you know, give it 20 years and you won't preach it as strong as you do today, young boy. He says, you'll, you'll find out it doesn't always work that way. <laughs> I can tell you now it's been over 20 years and I still preach it just as boldly. I'm not backing down on the Word of God. I am not giving up on what the Word of God says. I am, in fact, I've learned more, I've seen more, but I still believe what God says. It has been over 20 years since a minister, another preacher of the gospel said that to me. He said, give it 20 years and you'll find out doesn't always work. Sometimes you take your stand on the Word and it doesn't quite happen. You'll tone your preaching down a little bit. No, <laughs> It's gone over 20 years since then. And just like Caleb said, it's been 45 years for Caleb and I'm still standing on the word of God. I'm saying the same thing now. It's been over 20 years since that happened. And I am still, well, actually 42, 43. Well, it's been about 20 years. I'm still declaring the word of God boldly. Okay. And so I can identify a little bit with Caleb here. Just because there's been some hard situations, I've had every opportunity to want to give up. I've had times when it just it doesn't look like anything's working. I've had situations when you just think, this is hard. The word just doesn't seem to be coming to pass. What do you do when, that, when it's like that? Do you roll on the floor and cry and quit and begin to say, oh, the Bible doesn't always work? No, that's not what you're going to do. <laughs> if you want to receive from God, that's not what you do. When it, when, when it looks hard and you have to push in and it's like, man, this is not happening as quickly as I thought it should take. This is hard. I thought this should have happened ages ago. Is that when you begin to say, oh, well, you know, God doesn't always do it these days. No, that, that better, be not what, better not be what you begin to say. That's what a lot of people begin to do. They begin to abandon their stand on the Word of God. They begin to pull back the moment it gets hard, the moment it takes some effort, the moment they've got to stand their ground for a little bit of time. They begin to weaken. They begin to. And you see, that's why with those two blind men, that's just what Jesus was looking for. He was looking, are they going to quit? They've got to follow me all the way from Jairus' house all the way to another house. They're blind. They cannot see. They, they, you know, bumping into things. Are they going to quit? 
Or have I got two non-quitters here? And Jesus, by the, by the time he got to the house, he and these blind men somehow found the door and stumbled in. That had, had been a bit of a hard trip for them. This is where Jesus realized these are, these are two guys who don't quit. He said, come here, let's sort this out. Okay? That's why I believe Jesus didn't respond to them and didn't, didn't just turn and make it easy for them. He didn't say, oh, come, yeah, let, let me take your hand. I'll show you how to do this. In the natural, help people. I'm not saying don't help people. If it's just a natural situation, blind person, disabled person, whatever, help them. Please do. But when it comes to spiritual principles, sometimes you've got to say to them, come on, come on, let's see some drive in you. Let's see some effort in you. Let's see you be determined without everybody else making it easy for you. Because that is what is involved in receiving from God. Okay? Jesus made these blind men follow him, possibly all the way across town, and, had, and it was hard for them. It wasn't easy because they were blind. But they got it. And that's when Jesus turned around and said, Ha, ah, that's what I like. People who do not quit. Let's look at, let's finish, let's see what, what Caleb says here. We're looking in Joshua 14, verse 10. He says, Now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. He's giving credit to God. As he said, he's still standing on what God has said 45 years later. Um, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to, to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this, this day, 85 years old. And verse 11, as yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. He says, I'm as strong today as I was 45 years ago. I haven't weakened my stand at all. That's a good testimony. That's what you want to be able to say. He said, I'm just as strong today. He says, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. He said, I haven't weakened my stand one bit. Then notice what he says in verse 12. Now, therefore, give me that, this mountain. What mountain? That's the mount, that was his inheritance. That's what he'd been promised 45 years before. His land, that was his now he says, I'm taking it. Give me this mountain that the, he said, of which the Lord spoke in that day. He says, I'm going to drive out the Anakim. I'm going to drive out. God will drive them out and I'm getting my mountain. What is his attitude? His attitude is, I don't care how long it's been. I haven't weakened. I haven't quit. I haven't backed down. Nothing has caused me to, to turn away from this i am still holding to that promise just as much just as strong today and now's my day i'm getting it give it to me that was his attitude so what do you do when it's hard what do you do when healing it just seems to just be hard what do you do when it seems like there's a crowd in your way you push through it what do you do when it just seems like you can't get in the building because of the, the crowd you do whatever you have to do. Those four men, they dug a hole through the roof. I almost said you dig a hole through the roof, but I want somebody to say, well, you see, the minister said I could dig a hole through the roof. <laughs> okay, you do what you got to do to get your healing. What, like the blind men, if you've got to wander across town, bumping into lampposts, whatever, because you're blind, because you're determined to get to the healing meeting, you get there, you get where you can get around the word of God. Okay. That is the attitude that'll get you results. When it gets hard, when healing is just not coming as easily as you think it should, that's when you don't quit. That's when you don't cry. That's when you do not start questioning and doubting God. That is when you take the word of God and you push in harder than you've ever pushed in before. 
and you dig yourself into the Word of God with an attitude that says, I am going to take my mountain, just like Caleb did. Amen? So anyway, I hope you've, I hope you've got some good stuff out of this today from these two blind men. It's amazing what you can get. This is three, I think it's like four verses, three or four, four verses, this. But actually, it's rich with information because there's so much in this whole idea of, of, of how they had to follow Jesus. Pretty what could have been right across town. We're not even told the distance, but there's clearly a distance that they had to travel. It took some effort. It wasn't easy for them, but they got it. Amen. So thank you for joining us today. And I appreciate everybody who's, who's continuing to come and hear the word. And I appreciate everybody who's uh, sharing these. And as you'll see, each of these, they build more and more. As you start to put these all together, you really start to get a powerful understanding of the healing ministry. So we're going to continue studying these cases of healing in the ministry of Jesus next week. 